of you who have been with us the past couple weeks uh, know that we have been on this series, the sermon series, called Hot Topics. And so what we did is we took a uh, kind of survey of the things that you would like me to address uh, in 2016. And uh, your top topic that you wanted to be addressed in the church, in this place, at this moment, was dealing with difficult people. Yeah. And so that is today. We're going to be talking about dealing with difficult people. And some of the skills and some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today, they're very important. Uh, and the subject is obviously very important for us uh, because people are important. Right? Our relationships are important. I'm going to assume that you wanted me to cover this uh, for that reason because they are people who are difficult that you love, uh, that you perhaps live with, maybe in a, a family member, somebody in your dorm room, a roommate, whoever it could be, or perhaps even related to. Uh, it might be um, the person you're married to. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you to 50 years of happy marriage. And he says, well, the fact is, it's quite simple, really. Uh, the man makes all the big decisions, and the woman makes all of the little decisions. And so I looked at him and I said, it's, it's really that easy? He said, of course. He said, in 50 years, we haven't had to make one big decision. <laughs> You know, I, I did some research on the type of people which we consider difficult, and here's what I found. You know, the people that we consider difficult are typically those who may say they miss you, but they make no effort to call, text, or see you. Difficult people are often those who put you second, and yet you put them first. Difficult people are those who try to correct you when it's clear that you know more about the subject than they do. <laughs> difficult people are those whom you will pour your heart out to and get a one-word response. Sorry, <laughs> They chew with their mouth open. They always like to start drama and they complain that they hate drama. <laughs> People who only talk to you when they want something. Those who won't admit they're wrong. Justin Bieber fans. And of course, the other fans. So, as we look at this text here, and I'm going to have you turn to you here in a moment, um, really I'm going to be going out some principles of uh, some imperatives, some advice that Jesus gives to the disciples concerning the church. Now, we're going to apply this very individualized, um, and then also, if you're following along, I hope that you can see the implications uh, as far as the church is, is, is concerned as well. Uh, the, the point, or what I want you to walk away from here today doing, is knowing how to be involved in and engage 
marketing relationship, because one of the things that this whole people do is they, they, they bring us down, don't they? Um, and so we are going to see what Jesus has to say about this, our behavior in the midst of all of it, and so forth. So if you got your Bible, turn to Matthew 18, and I'm going to begin in verse 15, and I'll read through verse 22. Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, in other words, if somebody does you wrong, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If a person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. Give me down to verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seventy times seven. Pray with me for a moment. Father, this morning I pray that we rightly understand what you have for us. I pray, Father, that we do not leave unchanged because we have been with you and have read your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you noticed this or not, and this is important like if you're taking notes, um, but what I want to show you here, this is how Jesus starts. Um, he starts with you, when we're talking about dealing with, with difficult people. And, and so one of the things that I want you to know if you're taking notes, that starts with me. Like it, 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 just, it starts with you. The most difficult person in your life to actually control, to understand, often is yourself. Uh, and another truth that you may want to know as you seek to deal with difficult people, that you are the only one who can change you. Like, you are the only one who can control you in the way that you react. Um, and verse 15 here is, it, it shows us, it shows us that Jesus actually puts the responsibility on you. Uh, this is a, this should be eye-opening to us, and yet this is fairly difficult for us to do. Jesus tells us it's your responsibility to initiate the conversation with the difficult people. Yeah, one of the things, I don't know if you're like this or not, but I'm like this, right? If somebody wrongs us or does something to us, like what I'm hoping is that person goes away and they realize how awful they have been to me. And they sit and agonize over and over and over again. And so, like, after doing that for maybe an hour or two or a day or two, they come back, get down on their knees, and begin to apologize for offending me, for um, whatever it may be, and then I stand there and go, yes, you're right, thank you. <laughs> Has anybody had that experience? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, this is 
this is what we want to happen when people offend us or when people do something to us that we dislike. But the truth is, is it just doesn't happen. In fact, what I've discovered half the time, people have no idea what they've even done to me. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm kidding. And yet they go on about their business. Yeah, hey, Josh. Like, want to hang out? Want to be friends? No. <laughs> Jesus here, Jesus here, he said, he told me to do this. He says, you're supposed to go to them and point out their offense. Now, this is an equally difficult thing to do, or a very difficult thing for us to do. Has anybody tried to point out somebody's offense before? Alright. How'd that work out for you? Hey, excuse me, Joe, but you did this, this, and this. I would like you to apologize. Sometimes that works out for us, and it goes really well. But if I were to guess, the majority of the time, it doesn't go real well for us, does it? Um, And here's why. Most most psychologists will say that we struggle with two different things when it comes to confronting people or talking to difficult people or people who have offended us. And so I, I wanted to talk to you about these two mistakes that you likely make. I mean, you probably make one or the other more often uh, than not. So I want to encourage you as you go to somebody, as Jesus has encouraged you to go to somebody. It, it's your job if you've been hurt or if you've been offended or if you've been wrong to initiate reconciliation. And here are two things I want you to avoid that are just natural for you to do. And the first one is aggression. 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 Avoid aggression. Now, aggressive, if, if you're an aggressive person, this is what you do. You express your feelings, needs, and ideas at the expense of others. If you're wrong, if your blood starts to boil, you might, you might scream and yell, and if you're really aggressive, you might even get physical with somebody. Here's how you can tell if you're aggressive. If you don't already know this, you may know this, or somebody can point this out to you, but here's the thing to contemplate. You know you're aggressive if you almost always win an argument. If you speak loudly, and often you sarcasm. Name calling. If you have to have the final word. And then, of course, there's passive aggressive behavior, and so let's say that your employer comes to you and you're uh, upset at your employer, and so what you just decided to do is just not do the work that they gave you, or to do it half-heartedly. Anonymous letters can be forms of passive aggressive behavior. The truth is, like, if you typically are aggressive in the way that you deal with people, you're difficult. You are being difficult. The second thing I want you to avoid as you think about dealing with difficult people and really contemplating changing yourself is this, to avoid non-assertiveness. Non-assertiveness. And this is one of the things that Jesus is telling us to avoid in Matthew 15. You see, non-assertive people will allow others to walk all over them and take advantage of them. Now, this behavior will disguise itself as humility, but in actuality is really lack of regard for your own rights and the rights of other people. 
In fact, most people, like the psychologists will tell you that most people are non-assertive by nature. I know we get this last name wrong, but I'm going to try to say it. Um, a psychologist named Thomas Morary wrote an article called A Nation of Willing Victims uh, for Psychology Today years back. And in it, basically, what he did is he discovered, or he studied a group of college students who were trying to study, and then he had um, a, uh, a young man play music really loud that was really distracted, really distracted, distracted. Um, and so he watched these college students as they were trying to study. And what he noticed is that 80%, although they were distracted by this music, did absolutely nothing while this music played. 15% got up and went to the person who was blasting the music and asked the person to turn it down. After the person didn't turn it down, only 5% would get up and ask them the second time to have their needs met. And so what he concluded here is that most of us would actually rather have our rights violated than to be active enough to ask somebody to meet some basic needs that should be respected. And this is a category that most of us fall into, is non-assertiveness. Now this is in one way it's really easy to respond. Uh, if you're wrong or something happens to you, your, uh, your first response is really just to do nothing. Right? That would be non-assertiveness. Uh, but also, non-assertive behavior may respond or express themselves, but it often sounds like this. Listen, listen, and see if you sound like this um, when you do go to somebody and start to talk to somebody. Um, I prefer you not correct me all the time in front of my friends and children. But, but, it really doesn't matter that much to me. That's what a non-assertive person I Don't do this, but if you know what, it really doesn't matter that much to me. Or, right, I'd really like you to fill out this paperwork like this because it makes it easier for me to read. But, do whatever you want. Right? That, that's what a non-assertive person sounds like when they do uh, approach somebody. And so I want to encourage you to avoid that. Now there is a third option, and I, I believe this is the option in which Jesus points us to, and psychologists encourage us to use. It's this, practice godly assertiveness. Practice godly assertiveness. Here's what assertive people do. Right? This is what psychologists say assertive people do, and I'm going to show you what godly assertive people do, how it, how it looks like. Assertive people consider the rights of others and yourself. Assertive people seek to deal with complication in a way that seeks to maintain the dignity of everyone. So how do we do this? How do we become godly assertive people? Well, it's fairly simple, but very difficult to apply to our lives. And I want us to sit under James' teaching as we contemplate this. It's in James 1, beginning in verse 19. James is talking about actually complication that's going on in the church. And here's how he teaches them to deal with one another. He says, understand this, 
my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now there are a few things I want to pull out of here as we seek to stir ourselves in a godly way. The first thing that we must do as we go to somebody uh, and deal with a truly difficult person is to do so respectfully. Respectfully. You must do so respectfully. If you notice in verse 15, um, in chapter 18 and Matthew, Jesus says you should go to that person in private. Uh, you shouldn't air out the dirty laundry everywhere before you go to that person. You should go to that person and find it. Best case scenario, like you truly do solve the problem, or you deal with that difficult person in the right way, and you move in the right direction. And so this is best case scenario. It's showing that person respect when you come to them alone first. James here he tells us to be quick to listen. As we do. What does listening to somebody show them? It shows them that they matter, right? It shows them that you respect them. When you stop listening to somebody, it basically shows, I don't care about what you think or how you feel about the situation. So it's important that we be quick to listen. Truly difficult people are really disrespectful people, aren't they? I mean, bottom line, like, difficult people are disrespectful people. The people that don't listen to you. That they don't seek to understand what's going on. And so, what I, I want to give to you here to think about dealing with difficult people is to offer the people that you are dealing with what you are seeking. And that is respect. So, if you're, if you're an aggressive person by nature, here's what you need to do. You need to be quick to listen instead of quick to speak. Because aggressive people are quick to speak. If you're not assertive by nature, don't tell yourself that, well, I, I can't go do this because I or the other person just can't handle it. In reality, that's actually a lack of respect for yourself and for the other person when you say they can't handle it. But when you go to them, non-assertive people, what you are saying is that our relationship matters. And I respect you enough to come to you to tell you what is wrong with it right now, or why we are struggling, or why I feel we are struggling. The second thing that you need to do as you seek to be godly assertive people is to do so thoughtfully. To do so thoughtfully. And so here, James tells us to be slow to speak. To be slow to speak. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So when we go to somebody, what we are going to do is we're going to go to somebody, we are going to speak, tell them our peace, we are then going to listen, and then we are going to thoughtfully respond if we're going to respond at all. You know, there's the old proverb now of the Bible, um, either from Mark Wayne or Abraham Lincoln, or who knows where it's actually from. But it goes like this. It's better to remain silent 
Maybe you're not a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Yeah. As you engage somebody, as you go to that person and you tell them their faults, one of the things that you need to do is you need to, you need to listen to their response. Because typically people have a response. Sometimes it's just, oh, you know what? I didn't know I did that. I apologize. I'll make a change. But often it's, well, I did that because of this, this, and this. And it may not be a good excuse, it may not be right, but all I'm asking that you do is that you thoughtfully consider everything that they are saying. So many of us, I think it's, or so many of us, we're, we're, good at, we're good at responding, but we're not great at listening. And in fact, if you're like me, like you're, you're, you're listening to this person respond, and you're figuring out how you're going to respond before they're even done responding, right? So that's, that's what we do. There's a better way to go. You, you listen to them, and in fact, this is just some advice, pastoral advice. Seek to repeat in one or two, one or two sentences um, of what that person told you back to them and ask, is this right? And if they say yes, it means you've understood them. If they say no, keep trying. But thoughtfully, thoughtfully listen to them. Third, do so kindly. As we go to somebody, as we seek to serve ourselves, we must do so kindly. To be slow to anger, James says. How many have made good decisions while angry? Like, like, if you stuff not back at all, like, like, maybe you made one or two like, good decisions and things went exactly how you wanted to as you were actually out in anger. But I think most of us, we look back on our life, when our anger got the best of us, right, the results are not exactly what we wanted, were they? Or at least things didn't play out the way we hoped they would play out. And James here, he, he tells us that human anger is just, just going to produce the righteousness of God. Basically, James just says, don't be a jerk. Don't, don't be a jerk. Here's the thing, like, when, you're, when you are a jerk, people want to be a jerk back. So if you're dealing with a difficult person who's a jerk and you're a jerk to them, the only thing that's happening is that you're escalating the situation. But in reality, in your life, often your tone can set the tone of the argument, or of a discussion, or of the relationship. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to yell at somebody who is talking to you like this? <laughs> After you finish yelling at somebody who is talking to you like this, you often go away and realize that you were the one being the jerk. Don't you? But when you yell back at somebody who is yelling, you, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and the situation continues to escalate. And it really does you no good. In Proverbs, we're told a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is so true for so many of us. So aggressive people, I'm just going to tell you, don't make it worse. You'll notice if you have two aggressive people in a room and all you hear is yelling and screaming. Not to serve the people. Don't forget. Don't get down on yourself. Don't berate yourself. In other words, if the person comes to you and begins name calling or begins to tell you all of these things, 
that you've done it all. Don't put your head down and just say, yes, you're right, I'm an awful person. That's not the way to do it. Deal kindly with yourself, showing yourself grace, and that other person during the conversation. The final thing I want you to consider as you try to practice godly assertiveness is to be humble. James here is talking to the church, and he says, take your filth and evil off. Consider the things that you might have done wrong to contribute to the situation. Humbly accept the word of God, the gospel that tells us that we too sin, that we too rebel, that we too are not perfect in all of our relationships. Humbly accept that. Both aggressive people and unassertive people struggle with this. Aggressive people have too high a view of themselves. You know, so too high a view of self sounds like this. I'm right and they're wrong all the time. Sounds like this. They need to pay for what they've done to me. Now, assertive people, I mean, they typically have too low a view of themselves. You know, I, I don't really deserve to be respected. Can't be too low a view of the other person. Anymore. If I went to them, they couldn't really handle it anyway, or I'm not sure that I could handle it. I, I hope these things help you. We all know, however, you can go and you can do all of these things fairly perfectly to the best of your ability. And it doesn't always work, but it doesn't. Like, some of you may have done this in this way before, you seek to do this in this way, and yet you go to that person and they're still a jerk. Or they're still difficult. Or they're still exhibiting the behavior that you have in front of them. So what's the next step? To bring in a mediator. In verse 16, Jesus says, But if you're unsuccessful, in other words, if all of this didn't work, then take one or two others with you and go back again. And go back again. So that everything might be confirmed. Now, these are witnesses who have actually seen everything that's going on. I don't believe that's true. And most of the commentators in which I went to, they don't seem that that has to be the case here. Um, but rather, these are people who are going to kind of act as mediators or counselors. I'm going to encourage you, as you get a mediator involved, to make sure that this is somebody or people that you trust. Now, believe it or not, uh, Jesus expects the people in the church here to be trustworthy. Right? Um, you know, we're discovering more and more, even in our culture, like the pastor is no longer a trustworthy person in the popular culture. Um, or, you know, many people in the church and so forth. That's not the way that Jesus intended it to be. Um, but the principle here is that these need to be people that you trust, both parties, and have authority over your life. And so as you bring a mediator in, here's the thing that you are going to need to do. The two of you, or the group of difficult people, you're going to need to go to a person or persons that you trust and both groups are going to have to agree to give this mediator authority over the situation. If you don't, this will not be effective. What takes place will not be effective. Because here's why. They are going to ask you to change. 
it's likely that you're going to ask both parties to make changes. And this is what most people uh, struggle with. I, I've had people come into my office, right, they drag their wife into my office, Pastor Josh, you need to fix my wife, this, this, and then, and then I start suggesting changes for them, and they get really uncomfortable, really fast, and they're not sure they want uh, a second consultation. Right? Because that's what a good mediator is going to do. You say, well, yeah, you know, there are some areas that they probably need to change and we're making it wrong. But part of the skill of a good mediator is going to be able to see the things in your life that you need to take off and you need to change too to be able to live with and love or work with that other person. And this is a good thing for you because the only person that you can change too that's you. So the mediator isn't helping there. You need to get immediate. Another thing as we think about this, right? You have never noticed, like, the most difficult people in our lives are just people who are different than us. Sometimes it's difficult that people are different. You discover this real quickly when you get married. Like, <laughs> uh, we use that word in our house. Uh, we use different ones. Uh, I hate to mention now. Um, <laughs> so, like, Emily likes to talk about her feelings. Uh, I like to talk about facts. <laughs> That's tough sometimes. Um, Emily doesn't mind being late. She can't stand it. Right? Uh, she wants, when we go to bed, she wants to talk. I, I try to explain to her, like, I left the living room and went to bed so I could sleep. <laughs> right? Sometimes difficult people are, are just different than us, and we need to realize that. Uh, this is why one of the reasons I really encourage you to take the growth track, too, because we talked about how there are different people in the church, and God uses them to do different things in the world and in the life and the blood other people and embrace our differences in that way. The bottom line is when we think about a mediator bringing in this third party, the third party is going to help us. Show us, show us how to love the other person, or person. Now, here is probably the most difficult application for many of us. In fact, I heard some of you going, ooh, when I read these verses. In fact, I even looked up a, a couple of popular sermons, or preachers, excuse me, and looked to see if they had any sermons on Matthew 18 and these passages that we read. In fact, I couldn't find um, some pastors who had uh, covered this text very well or, or at all. Um, it's because of, of this next application that I'm going to give you. And so, um, I want you to take this uh, best you can and apply this in the right way. But here it is. Is that you don't have to be best friends with everyone if everything doesn't work out. If you aren't called to be best friends with everyone. I heard somebody going, oh, when I read this line where Jesus said, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, like if the mediators can't work it out, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. It's obvious that you guys got like, like this is not like, these aren't the kind words from Jesus. Or this isn't 
what we feel that Jesus should be teaching. I think most of us, we just think that we're going to be, because we're Christians, right, and we're called to love, that we're just going to be best friends with everybody, we're just going to be along with everybody all the time because we go with them and we bring in the mediator that it's, it's going to be great. Right? It's, it's all going to work out all the time, and that's just not the case all the time. And the point that I think Jesus is making here is that deliberately difficult people should not dominate your life. Deliberately difficult people should not dominate your life. In the life of the, ch- the church, these are deliberately rebellious people. These are people, no matter how many times you you go, they continue to turn their back on you. This should free us in a way, because in a way, this is, Jesus is telling you that these difficult people don't have control over your life. Like you aren't controlled by them. You don't have to keep going over and over and over again, allowing them to bring you down. One of the things I want you to consider, right, is you have maybe pushed out a relationship uh, with somebody or relationships with people because um, maybe the way that you've been treating them, like to consider whether or not you have been a difficult person in a relationship. Sometimes it is us. And sometimes we do need to make a change. And as Jesus continues here, as the text continues, it does give us hope. It does give us hope. This is kind of the last primary point I want to make. As we even think about difficult people, we hear that that hard, and you don't have to be best friends with everybody. Saying, uh, as you hear people say, you know, allow them to be as pagans and tax collectors, is that you can remember that people change, including yourself. You, you need to remember that people change, including yourself. Peter asked Jesus this question. He says, How Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. In other words, like, you can continue to forget, but you don't have to run out of forgiveness in your life. Jesus was for and he's about restoration. You have to keep the door open. For restoration. You have to keep the door open to welcome that person back in into a relationship. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So we may need to remove ourselves from somebody for a period of time, but we don't put them in the forever difficult box. They can step out of that and we welcome them gladly back into our lives, into a restored relationship. In fact, what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that if we understand the forgiveness and grace that he's given towards us, we will understand how to apply this to our lives. How to remember that people change and welcome them back. You see, the gospel of the Bible is about rebellious people, difficult people, whom God wants to be in a relationship with. And so, God wants to be in a relationship with these people so bad you know what he does? He goes to them. He goes to them in the form of Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? 
is he shows people their sin. He shows them their fault. This is what Jesus does to begin to restore a relationship with us. This is what the cross is. The cross reminds us actually of the righteous aggression of God. But about that, like, we sin in our aggression. God's aggression is righteous. And it's righteously taken out on Jesus on the cross. What that means for us is that Jesus, is that God the Father on, toward Jesus on the cross is the ultimate source of justice. So all the wrong that has ever been done in the world has been punished through Jesus on the cross. This should, this should be properly understood, should free you from aggression. God is the aggressor. <coughs> Allow Him to bring about justice in the world. But the cross, it's more than just God's aggression. It's more than that. It's also a display of God's love. It's both a display of His aggression and a display of God's love for you. Jesus sent, or God the Father sent Jesus, His Son, to the earth to meet you where you're at, to walk as you walk, and to die for you. On the cross, it's God's love display saying that God himself is willing to lay his life down for you. There's no greater love in than somebody who's willing to die for you. And on the cross, Jesus is telling you how important you are to him, how important your relationship is to him and God's Father. He's reaching out with you in love. He confronts you with love on the cross. We must confront others too with love. This is how we reach out with others. This is the example that Christ wants us to have. So my challenge for all of you as you go through life dealing with difficult people, because you will, they're all over. I want you to remember Christ. If you want to learn, you want to know how to deal, deal with difficult people, remember Jesus. Look towards Jesus. He came, he confronts us in our sin, and he shows us how much he loves us, and he keeps his hand open, ready for a relationship with you. He forgives us with all grace and humility, and compassion. I want you to consider this text that we read. Because Jesus is always reaching out, ready to restore a relationship. But some will reject it. Some will reject it. And some will be as Gentiles and tax collectors. He didn't mean that in a kind of way. We can reject being in a relationship with people. And Jesus teaches us that we have the freedom to be able to do that. And so this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to consider having a relationship with Jesus, who confronts us and says, we are sinners in need of forgiveness, while at the same time, 
He says, you are, you are worth it. I gladly died for you. I love you. What will keep you from restoring that relationship and not believing that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness. Or the opposite. Believing that you are so unlovely that Jesus has never died for you. That that wasn't for you. But both are true. Both are true. And so I would like you to consider that this morning. And I'd like you to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, and as your God who loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Would you all take a moment and pray with me as we conclude this morning. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to us while we were still sinners. We thank you that the godly came for the ungodly and that Jesus laid down his life for us. We pray that the implications of what you have done changes the way we deal with people. Might we deal with others with love? Might we go here equipped to restore relationships and love like you did? Father, we know that there may be people here this morning without a relationship with you. You show up in their life. You've been calling them to come and follow you. But they've been slow to listen and have resisted. I pray at this moment that you grab them by their heart, that they make a decision to turn from sin and to turn from you. Father, I pray that you show them how much you love them, that you have died for them, that you desire to be in a relationship with them. Father, I pray today that they say yes to a restored relationship with you as they receive your Son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. With every eye closed and head down here, I just want to know, is there anybody in here this morning who just wants to say yes to God for the first time? God, I want you to... For God, I acknowledge that I rebelled against you, and yet you are calling me into a relationship with you. And I want to say yes to that relationship today. I choose to follow you today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Father, this morning we give you thanks for your son Jesus, and we're going to continue to pray this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.